It's your Friday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Glad to have you guys back for another day, end of the week, end of quite a week. Man, it has been a lot this week, digging out from the snow, dealing with all sorts of stuff here. But, uh, you know, we're, we're getting through it. We're making it happen. And I hope you guys have enjoyed all the shows so far this week. Good one coming up today, Ben Gessling, uh, Vikings writer from the Star Tribune, joins me here in just a little bit to talk you know, Sunday's game against the Bears, but more importantly, looking ahead to the playoffs, some of the things that the Vikings are going to be hoping to work on this weekend in Chicago against a team that, uh, frankly, will not be that motivated to win and is not necessarily putting its best foot forward, especially at quarterback, already shutting down Justin Fields, will play Nathan Peterman in this game. He of the three touchdowns and 13 career interceptions, passer rating in the low 30s, so Maybe not the biggest test for the Vikings, although an opportunity, I suppose, for them to maybe rest some of their own players and get ready for the first round of the playoffs a week from now. Also, we'll get to some uh, Gophers women's basketball stuff. They they gave a gave Ohio State a scare last night before ultimately falling short, and uh, and some other stuff towards the end of the show as well. Looking a little bit ahead to the soccer season, Minnesota United begins training in just a couple days, so I want to get to a couple things of note from that team. First, though, what did I miss? A little bit of revisionist history just got me thinking the other day about. Um, Vikings coaching search of almost a year ago and how the process played out and ended up with Kevin O'Connell, which I'm sure um, 99.9 to 100% of people have to be happy with right now based on, you know, 12-4 and record in their first season, overachieving based on expectations, overachieving based on you know, more or less how they've how many points they've scored versus how many they've given up. I think O'Connell's done a really good job <clears throat> as a first year head coach in establishing a culture, um, doing some you know doing some things to lay some groundwork for future years and having success along the way. I don't think this is the best team he'll ever have here. I don't think they would. I don't think he would want that. But I think um, I think that some of the things you build along the way. Can, uh, can can show up in future years as well. So I think they have to be ecstatic with the way the process and the hire has worked out. But go back almost a year, and you will remember that Jim Harbaugh had emerged as a dark horse candidate for this job, that maybe it was going to be him he interviewed. Maybe that didn't go as well as everybody in the building had hoped it would, but the Vikings ended up hiring Kevin O'Connell instead of Jim Harbaugh. Harbaugh goes back to Michigan, has a great year there. Michigan goes undefeated up until the college football playoff semifinals where they lose to TCU. And now it sounds like Jim Harbaugh is, A, in trouble a little bit with some of the recruiting that went on uh, while he was in Michigan. Sounds like I'm reading for an ESPN story. Um, their NCA is investigating them for violations during the COVID-19 recruiting dead period, which included impermissible contact with recruits during dead periods, as well as use of a, quote, defensive analyst for on-field coaching activities. Um, <clears throat> violation that could include a suspension, according to ESPN's sources. Now, Interesting, along with this, sounds like Harbaugh is maybe flirting a little bit with the open Carolina job. ESPN had reported earlier this week that Carolina's owner, David Tepper, had had a conversation about that opening with Harbaugh. 
Now, Harbaugh released a statement Thursday that didn't exactly throw cold water over all of it. Here was the statement. He said, as I stated in December, while no one knows what the future holds, I expect that I will be enthusiastically coaching Michigan in 2023. I have spoken with University President Santa Ono and Athletic Director Ward Manuel and appreciate their support of me and our program. Now, when he interviewed for the Vikings job last February, he told the Detroit Free Press that this would be a one-time thing, that he was pursuing an NFL job. Sounds like maybe it's not. I don't know. Maybe just a, maybe this is just a conversation. Maybe this is just a uh, you know idle, idle discussion between two guys who have mutual interests. Who knows? It is interesting to me, though, that this is coming up again, especially in the context of Michigan maybe being uh, in trouble and afoul of some rules. So <clears throat> long story short, I think Michigan had to be thrilled with the way that whole process played out with the season that Harbaugh had. The Vikings had to be thrilled with the way Kevin O'Connell has navigated his first season as head coach. It's turned out to be more or less a win-win, but now this coming out, this interest maybe in the Carolina job is interesting to me just from the the standpoint of revisionist history and what might have been a year ago. So we'll see how this story all plays out, and we'll see how Kevin O'Connell's rookie season as head coach plays out too. And again, like I said, Ben Gessling and I will talk a little bit more about that in just a couple minutes here. Let's keep it in the Big Ten football for just a moment, if we might. Multiple reports suggesting Gophers offensive coordinator Kirk Shiroka could be leaving the team again. ESPN, NewJersey.com, and other outlets reporting that uh, Shiroka is headed to Rutgers to be Rutgers' uh, offensive coordinator out there now that would be a pretty interesting move um you know he remember he already left the gophers once for a different um a different big 10 job with penn state did not work out there came back this year gophers kind of stabilized on offense but maybe didn't get the passing game going to, to the degree that everybody might have wanted and uh, this, so this could be a, a quick a quick one and done for for Shiraka's return if he indeed goes to Rutgers now nothing again finalized at this point but the reporting suggesting that they're pretty far down the road with this. If this indeed happens, the Gophers would be looking for another offensive coordinator, be looking to fill quite a few vacancies. As it turns out, the Gophers also lost two other coordinator or two other coaches. I'm sorry, two other Big Ten schools. Cornerbacks coach Paul Haynes going to Wisconsin, and defensive line coach Brick Haley headed to Purdue. Sounds like the Shiroka deal must be pretty expensive. He was going to be under a pretty hefty contract with the Gophers of almost a million dollars per season to be their offensive coordinator, but maybe that uh, maybe the the number in uh, in Rutgers is even more than that. It must be if that would get him to head back east. So we'll see if that happens, when that happens, um, and that uh, you know another vacancy for the Gophers, another kind of restart. But maybe that's not the worst thing in the world, especially as they turn the keys over to Ethan Calic Manis and a new style of offense going forward. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake. With twenty four seven gaming, the good times never have to end, and you can satisfy your cravings at our restaurants and bars, or relax in one of our luxurious hotel rooms. Those that play together stay together. And don't forget to join Club M so you can spark new memories and bask in the rewards along the way. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. It's Friday on Daily Delivery. Ben Gessling from the Star Tribune joins me as usual. Um, interesting, uh, interesting times for the Vikings, interesting times in the NFL. I think we got a lot to get to here 
today, Ben. Maybe we can start um, with you know start with some of the football stuff, and we'll get to obviously some of the Demar Hamlin stuff as well. We talked about that a lot on Access Vikings on Wednesday. Um, sounds like there's some pretty good progress. Some actually yep. some really good news. Basically, just yep. from what we were seeing from uh, you know some of the medical folks on Thursday. So that's definitely good news, but doesn't necessarily change you know the where players' heads are at right now heading into another weekend of football. Um, but with, you know, the games are going to go on this weekend, it sounds like. And, you know, assuming they do, Ben, what what do you want to see? What do the Vikings want to see? What does Justin Jefferson perhaps want to see as they get ready to play the Bears? Um, you know, in a game that's got some meaning but maybe has more, um, you know, more of a, not, like, not quite of a preseason feel, but trying to work out the kinks maybe more than, flat out uh, winning and losing in this game. Yeah, I, I think there certainly is an interest in that locker room of let's put last week behind us and let's do it by going out and playing effectively. And and this is probably a pretty good chance to do this. This is not a team that has a great pass rush. This is not a team that has anything to play for other than possibly the number one pick. This is not a team that's going to play at starting quarterback. Justin Fields will not play in this game. Matt Eberflus said this week it'll be Nathan Peterman whose NFL numbers are not impressive. No. So um, it is a good chance to get right, I think, before the playoffs. I mean, the, the Bears are not going to come out and say, we don't want to win this game, but there's no good reason for them to want to win this game when it could jeopardize their chances, would jeopardize the chances of getting the number one pick. So I think it's an opportunity to go out and try to figure out your offensive line with – Ole Udo and Chris Reed looking like they're going to start in place of Brian O'Neill and Garrett Bradbury. Yikes. It's a good chance, I think, for Justin Jefferson to get some things figured out after last week. He said he met with Kevin O'Connell this week to share some ideas of when we're seeing the two-man coverage that we saw from the Packers, where it's a guy pressing me right off the snap and there's a safety over the top. How are some ways that we can beat that? And he said he met with O'Connell this week to talk through some of those things. And they've seen that coverage before, but I think you'll see them try some different things on Sunday. They know they're going to have that coming at them until they show that they can stop it or until somebody else makes them pay for putting so much attention on Jefferson. I think Sunday, to the extent that they're going to play starters, will give them an opportunity to kind of work out some of those things in something of a dress rehearsal before a playoff game. Feels a little late in the season to to work through that. I mean, obviously, yep. maybe it hasn't been that much of a problem because Jefferson's putting up, you know, MVP caliber numbers until he wasn't last week. But, you know, the thing they have struggled with, which we talked about multiple times, is physical corners who press him off the jump. And they haven't really necessarily solved that to a large degree if it's still coming back and getting them against the Packers. So what do you make of this happening right before week 18 or the playoffs as opposed to earlier in the season? Yeah, I mean, the concerning thing is the teams it has happened against – the Packers, the Lions, to an extent, more so in the first game, at least effectively in the first game, and then certainly the Eagles. Right. Those are teams you may see again. And right. a lot of those teams, especially the Eagles and the Packers, have veteran corners, Darius Slade, Jair Alexander, who know how to do it. And they have enough help in their secondaries to kind of keep the lid on things. And you have to figure out an answer to it. I think fairly quickly because you're going to see teams say the only thing we have to do is not let Jefferson Jefferson beat us. And it can be solving the coverage, but it also I think has to be 
the ability to say, fine, if you're going to devote that much attention to Justin Jefferson, we have these other guys that are going to make you pay. They've done some of that with TJ Hawkinson, but as we talked about on Access Vikings, they need more of that from Adam Thielen, KJ Osborne, probably Dalvin Cook, which probably actually means the offensive line opening things up for Dalvin Cook. I think that would be the quickest way to solve some of these things is to have somebody else that can make teams pay for the attention they're putting on Jefferson. Jefferson mentioned, you know, trying to have him in motion more often, create opportunities where it's not a spot where he can be pressed. I mean, not having a situation where defensive backs can get their hands on him right off the jump is probably something you're going to have to figure out how to do. And they may have to do a number of different things in the process of that. They, they've had this problem all year. O'Connell and I talked for our, when I talked to him last week for the sports person of the year story, Denon Jefferson, he talked a lot about the things they've had to build in. Kirk Cousins, when I talked to him for that story, talked a lot about the things that Justin Jefferson has had to do, the level of detail he's had to put into his job because of how much more complex it is than your typical X receiver. But now it's time to bring all these things to bear. And you're going to probably have to continue to find ways to solve this problem because every defensive coordinator you play is focused on how do we take Justin Jefferson out of the game? Yeah. Well, that's, you know, again, that's, that's the one thing they've done really well this year is get Justin Jefferson the ball. And when they don't, you've seen the, uh, the byproduct of that. They scored what seven points against Philadelphia. They scored three points when it really mattered against green Bay. So We'll see if they can get that solved, not necessarily this week, because, you know, like you said, Chicago is a different uh, different animal than what we'll see in the playoffs. But, uh, you know, they got to get that right if they're going to do that. And part of that, too, like you said, is protecting Kirk Cousins. And that task becomes much more difficult with Ole Udo replacing Brian O'Neill, who's, you know, out, obviously injured reserve, partially torn Achilles in addition to that calf injury. As you think about the reconfigured, you know, offensive line of what they might want to see from that this week and, and beyond. I mean, how, how challenging is that? And what, what might we see from, you know, third string center, Chris Reed and, and, and things of that nature? Well, I think, I mean, the interesting thing with Reed is, I mean, they signed him in the offseason as a possible starter at right guard. And this was obviously before they drafted Ed Ingram that they had signed him. It was him and Jesse Davis initially that you're thinking about possibly starting there. He's obviously a veteran in the league that has been around long enough to you're not throwing him into a situation where it's completely foreign to him. The position somewhat is he has not played that position in the NFL, but it's not a guy that is in an NFL locker room studying an NFL playbook for the first time. I I think the thing that gets tricky though, is when you have him there, you have a rookie right guard and you have a new right tackle. That is a blinking red light to opponents of saying, Let's try to run a lot of stuff to challenge the communication between these three guys. So I, I think you're going to see that. I think you're going to see that from the Giants, certainly. They blitz more than anybody in the league. If that's the first-round opponent, I think they're going to get tested in that regard, and you're going to have to be able to answer it. I, I think the good part, and Reed talked about this in the locker room on Thursday, with some of the Caden stuff is they're able to fix some of those things this week. They, that was an issue numerous times in that game. But part of that is, as Cousins talked about, they have complex cadences that they didn't really simplify. Trying to do all that in the noise of Lambeau Field is a different environment. But the time that Cousins and Reed have had this week to try to get some of those things figured out, at least that part, I don't think will be as big of an issue. But there's a lot for that group to have to get right and not a lot of time to figure it out. 
No, and that's true. And it's kind of a shame for them because I feel like the offensive line, you know, I think by and large this year had been pretty improved. And now we're seeing, you know, not so much by performance, but by injury. You know, we had, I think Derisaw has looked a little different to me since he's had the concussions. Maybe that's just yeah. the eye test. Maybe that maybe some of the numbers bear that out. I didn't think he was great against the Packers by any stretch. Obviously, the O'Neill injury is huge. And then Bradbury, whatever his status might be, you know, beyond this week. And then you've had the inconsistency of Ed Ingram. I mean, that's let's what was, and I wouldn't say a strength, but what was something that was less of a concern than in recent years is now all of a sudden potentially something that could rear its ugly head in the playoffs again. Yeah, it could. I mean, that we're right back to that being a big concern. And I, I think overall this year, it's been at least an average line. Yeah. That some of the metrics you look at, they're not at the bottom of the league like they've been in a lot of years. Now, the thing I will say is in terms of opening space up for Dalvin Cook, it has not been a group that's had a lot of success. And that's been fairly consistent this year, whereas we haven't seen as much of that, at least with this group in the last couple of years. I mean, you saw it, I can remember back in 2016, where they opened less space before contact than any team had in ESPN's years of tracking all this stuff with <laughs> yeah. ESPN's information. I remember writing about that when I was still at ESPN, but obviously they've invested a lot in that line with a lot of first and second round picks since then. So we haven't seen that be an issue quite in the same way, but you're back to a lot of questions with that group. And you're, I, I think facing a big need to open things up for Dalvin cook, because that would keep you in fewer Second, third, and longs, I think. It gives you another counterpunch. This is not going to be a team that comes out and runs the ball on a 50-50 split. You're going to see them do kind of what they've done, where it's about two-thirds throwing, one-third running, and you got to factor in game flow and, and game script into that to yeah. some degree. But they're not going to be a team that comes out and runs the ball a ton. You can't have the number of plays that go for no gain or lose a yard or inability to punch the ball in at the goal line they have to get better there in a hurry and uh, it's hard to say that you're just going to be able to snap your fingers and fix that but I think if they're going to go anywhere you have to be more effective running the ball than they've been able to do for a lot of the stretch final thought for you Ben um, we mentioned at the beginning um, a lot of players still thinking obviously about DeMar Hamlin and what yeah. that means to you know a lot of them watched it because of the Monday Night Football game now they're getting ready to play another game. And, you know, even if even if what happened to DeMar Hamlin was, you know, a fluke, fluke is maybe the wrong word, but just it, it, unlikely to happen again, even in a contact sport like football, it, it puts your mind in a different place, especially when you've seen it. And even if the news on DeMar Hamlin, it keeps getting better and better, that's still very fresh. How do you feel like the players right now that you've talked to or that have talked you know, this week, where, where, where are their heads at? Is they're getting ready to play another game right now? Yeah. I mean, the ones, there've been a number of them that have been fairly candid in terms of that. They are still thinking about it, that it's in the backs of their minds. I, I think Harrison Phillips said it yesterday or said it on Wednesday about my mind is not completely settled until I hear some good news. I, I asked Patrick Peterson about this because it's this thing that players talk all the time about. You don't want to play tentative because if you do that, you're putting yourself at risk of getting injured. You you want to be able to play confidently. You want to play assertively because then you're not you know stepping short on things or or just being tentative with your movements and which maybe puts you in an awkward position in in a spot where you're compromised and, and could get hurt as a result of that. But 
At the same time, I and players have admitted this, it is really hard when the last thing you saw on Monday night was DeMar Hamlin being taken off the field in an ambulance. I mean, it's hard, I, I think, to unsee that. Patrick Peterson talked about he was at home watching the game, cooking dinner. Um, he's, he's got young girls, um, I think a couple of years younger than, than my kids, maybe yeah. closer to the age of yours, but yeah. uh, they're watching the game. And they said, oh, dad, there was a big hit. And, and he was cooking, so he didn't see it at the time. And then you know, kind of sees the, what they're doing on the field. And he says to his wife, okay, let's get the kids upstairs because they don't need to see this and start thinking, could this happen to my dad? Yeah. I mean, so those things are, they're always kind of there. I mean, you always know that you could get hurt, but I, I think the thing Kirk Cousins said about it is it just wasn't a normal type of injury. And he even right. said, you know, spinal column stuff, as, as jarring as this is, he said, spinal column stuff, you kind of get used to it. Like you expect it's going to be part of it. But when you see a life and death type situation like that, it just is such a, a thunderbolt, I think, in some ways that it's hard to just go back to the job. But as Peterson said, and I think Adam Thielen said, we're, we're wired a little differently. You, you have to be able to compartmentalize this stuff as best you can, go back to work. They do, I, I think we saw this, and, and this has been a progression over time, the, the medical care that went into play on Monday night in Buffalo was outstanding. Yeah. And you have seen, and people have mentioned Chris Pronger getting hit in the in the chest with a puck and, and almost dying on the ice. This is probably 15 years ago. And then Christian Eriksen, the soccer player in the, in the European Championship Tournament a few years back, having, I think, a heart attack on the field. So some of the, the procedures they have in place so many EMTs, different doctors with different skill sets. You have enough people that if just about anything happens in the field, there's going to be somebody that knows how to handle it. But still, right. um, anytime you're talking life or death situations like that, you're on a razor's edge, even with as talented and skilled as the people you are have that they had treating DeMar Hamlin. It's, it's a scary thing. So it's hard to begrudge anybody for, you know, kind of having in the back of their mind of, what if this is me? It just, I think it changes a lot of things, even if it is such a rare thing that you hope doesn't happen again. No, absolutely. I feel like that's, you know, it'll be fresh for a while and it'll still be in the back of their minds, I think, for a very long time. And it'll be interesting just to see how that plays out when play does resume here, because I mean, obviously that was the, because that game was the last game of the week, essentially, where, you know, it's going to be another, you know, the, the cycle wasn't really started up again, and now it will be this weekend Especially and then Thursday. the playoffs. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And now, now here we go again. So we'll see how that uh, how that all how that all goes. But uh, Ben Gessling, appreciate your insights. As always, follow Ben and Andrew Kramer. Um, they'll be at uh, at Soldier Field, I would imagine, covering this uh, yeah. this finale for whatever it's worth. They'll have a post game Access Vikings podcast. We'll know playoff opponents soon enough, and uh, we'll go from there. Thanks, Ben. All right, thanks, Mike. Good stuff from Ben as always, and I can't, I just can't help but think about the Vikings and a potential playoff push. I mean, it's almost certainly going to be the Giants, I would think, in that first round, unless San Francisco gets somehow upset by um, an Arizona team that is motivated to keep losing for draft position. The Vikings will be the three seed and will face the Giants as the six seed. Now that would set them up almost certainly for a game against either San Francisco, Dallas, Philadelphia, depending on kind of how the deck shakes out um, in in the uh, in the NFC uh, in that second round. If they were to get through the first round, unless 
there was an upset in that 7-2 game, which isn't out of the realm of possibility, in which case the Vikings would probably then face the winner of the 4-5 game, which would be Tampa Bay against Dallas more than likely. So a lot to a lot to sort out. The, the pie in the sky hope for the Vikings, I think. The only way you could see them really making a deep run, I think, is if they do you know, wind up with a lesser opponent somehow in that second round and get that game at home. It is a possibility. I'm not saying that's out of the out of the realm of possibility. I do think that whoever is that two seed could be vulnerable against Green Bay or the Lions if those are the teams that end up competing for that number seven spot ultimately at the end of the year. So see how that all plays out. A lot to a lot to sort out still. We'll know the playoff opponent by the end of the weekend, and we will go from there. A couple more things to get to before the end of the day. Gophers women's basketball team taking some encouragement even in defeat on Thursday night, losing to third-ranked undefeated Ohio State 83-71, but a game the Gophers led for quite some time, including taking a lead into the fourth quarter. Ohio State opening the fourth quarter on a 14-0 run and uh, overtaking the Gophers at the end. But uh, So there you have it for the, for that game. But Lindsey Whalen's team may be making some progress with that effort. Just could not get over the hump at the end. But there you go. Um, some, some opportunities there lost, but also maybe something to build on for the future. And let's finish with the cooler. Minnesota United soccer starting training on Monday. The season that seems impossibly long. Now they won't play for a couple months, but a lot of good storylines to track from this. Jerry Zagoda, who covers Minnesota United for the Star Tribune, had a good rundown of things we should be keeping an eye on at the at the start of camp. And uh, the biggest one to me, um, you can read all of them at StarTribune.com, but the biggest one to me is the first one he noted, um, that Emmanuel Reynoso is facing a potential trial back in his hometown in Argentina uh, relating to a uh, relating to an arrest from you know from 2021 late 2021 so we'll see what comes of that um, you know the United United is obviously aware of this um, he you know he's a huge part of their team obviously in any part of this that ends up being something that interrupts his season or affects his season obviously is something that could impact the loons in 2023 so we'll have to watch that a little bit carefully as we go along. Like I said, you can catch the rest of that on Star Tribune or StarTribune.com. That will do it for me today. Thanks for joining me all week. Be back at it again Monday with Patrick Royce talking all things Vikings, all things, you know, whatever else comes up because you never know what's going to happen between now and then. Thanks so much. Enjoy the rest of your day, and we'll see you on Monday. 